everyone, and welcome to Kid You Not Podcast, episode 11. Oh, Clem 11. <laughs> Please join us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, or email us on kidyounotpodcast at gmail.com. And obviously, go to our website, kidyounotpodcast.com. What are we going to talk about today? Well, today, Clementine, we are going to discuss something a little bit risque. And what is it? Well, those three little letters, S-E-X. Okay, figure it out whilst Lauren reads an extract from a book. I got to the clinic at 2.45. I went inside and gave my name to the receptionist. There were seven other people in my group session, including two young couples. First, we had a general discussion with a physician and a social worker. They explained all the methods of birth control. You could ask questions if you wanted. I didn't. Next, there came a private session called personal counselling. Just me and a social worker. She was young and very pretty with long hair, tied back and tinted glasses. Her name was Linda Kolker. I wondered if she was sexually experienced and decided she must be or else she wouldn't have the job. We talked about the weather and my family for a minute and then she asked me my reason for coming to the clinic. I told her, I think it's my responsibility to make sure I don't get pregnant. She nodded and said, Do you have one special boyfriend? Yes. Have you discussed this with him? Not really. How do you think he'll feel about it? I'm sure he'll be very happy. He approves of birth control. But coming here was all your idea? Yes. Absolutely. Good. Some of the questions I have to ask you are rather personal, Catherine, so that we can determine what method of birth control will be best for you. I understand. Have you already had sexual intercourse? Yes. Have you been using a birth control device? Yes. Which one? A sheath? That is a condom. Combined with foam or by itself? By itself. And you find that method unacceptable? Well, it's hard for me to say because we just did it one time. Oh, I see. Now I nodded. But you plan to have intercourse regularly? Yes. About how often? How often? I repeated. Yes. How often do you plan to have intercourse? Well, I don't know exactly. Would you say weekends and holidays, or every day, or once a month, or a few times a year? I guess on weekends, mainly. Do you think you'll know in advance, or will it be a spontaneous decision? I guess I'll know in advance. Okay, so much for that. I'll need a little medical history now. How old were you when you began to menstruate? Almost 14. And are your periods regular? Sort of. I get it every four to five weeks. And how long does each period last? About five days. Any bleeding in between periods? No. Vaginal discharge? Sometimes. Colour? Just clear. That's normal. Any severe cramping? No, just some low back pain the first day. Nothing bad. How about your mother? Is she in good health? Yeah, she's fine. Does she take birth control pills? No, she uses a diaphragm. Quite a good method if used properly. 
I'd rather take the pill. Yes, it has its aesthetic advantages, but it's not the answer for everyone. I guess I must have looked unhappy when she said that, because she added, We'll see what the doctor has to say, okay? The whole idea of coming here is to find the birth control device that best suits the individual. Thank you, Lauren. And this was an extract from Judy Bloom's Forever, which is defined by the publisher as a teenage classic. And it, it is true, it is really a teenage classic. It was published in 1975, so really quite a long time ago when actually our parents would have been teenagers at the time. And um, can we say that Forever truly uh, revolutionised the way in which sex was pictured in adolescent literature? Yeah, that's certainly the way we were taught it on our MPhil. And if you look at the you know history of or the chronology of what books were published when, Forever blew everyone's minds, didn't it, at the time? Because yeah. it was so much more explicit. It was the first time sex had featured as a main component of the plot or really been mentioned yeah it was more than mentioned I mean forever yeah. the plot of forever is all revolves around the first sexual experience uh, of the heroine and the hero <clears throat> um, and the resulting sort of emotional entanglement that ends up with this but ends up at the end not being forever um, a warning a lot of the books we're going to talk about today we may provide massive plot spoilers but unfortunately we can't have this discussion without them yeah so sorry in advance if you haven't read them what is very striking about forever and from the extract that you read is how uh, clinical and de-eroticized sex actually is in this book and it's funny that everyone hid it under their pillows and gave it to each other at school in order to learn more about sex because actually there really is nothing even titillating about it. Yeah because something that I just noticed reading that when I read that as a teenager and even when I've read it reasonably recently it never struck me as a funny book but now as an adult with adult sensibilities reading that some of it was almost comical didn't you think? Yes it's, it's, it really is a handbook of sexuality in novel form, isn't it? Yeah. First you seek advice by going to the family planning clinic mm -hmm. like a good girl. And another very striking aspect of that passage in particular is, I think, the fact that the female is expected to take sole responsibility for birth control. She, Catherine states explicitly, I think it's my responsibility to make sure I don't get pregnant, which I think is a very important point and slants that the novel gives on the attitude to take towards sex in the 1970s that yeah. is very true. I, I have to say we, we can't be too harsh on forever um because actually it really is a book that transformed the way in which um people thought about their own sexuality and really all these bottled up tensions um about, about adolescent sexuality suddenly found a way of uh, being expressed through the mediation of a book and it's actually quite it's quite a sensitive treatment of sex if didactic and clinical it definitely was a book that that I think helped and still continues to help quite a lot of young girls who are worried about the hygienics and the practicalities of the act definitely because even though sex is a much more common part of teenage literature nowadays I think it, it is hard to find books that deal with it in such a way that is so universal to all young girls' experiences and addresses young girls' concerns in such a practical manner. Mm -hmm. Because although we do get a lot of books later on, especially in the last 10 years, that discuss the emotional nature of sex, 
few of them are as practical and let's face it like a handbook mm. for how you can negotiate this tricky period of your adolescence yeah exactly um from forever to now which sounds weird <laughs> said like that what has happened in and we're okay we're going to talk mainly about adolescent literature because the thing that we're talking about today is not sexuality which could encompass uh, fairy tales and quite a lot of children's books and we might do that you know some other time talking about the sort of concealed sexuality in children's literature we're really talking about sex as an act sexual intercourse what has happened between forever and now in the evolution of the representation of sex uh, sexual intercourse etc in teenage literature would you say well it's far definitely far more common it's no longer a taboo subject Mm -hmm. in the way that it once was but something that i do still think is very striking about modern treatment of sex is that it is never, even today, something that just happens. It's always a key aspect of the plot, and there are always consequences for it. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. I, I wouldn't say always, but I'd say very, very often that's true. It is the case. You can't just have some, some character just declaring, oh, yesterday, so we had sex with Thomas, and then, oh, apart from that, what are you doing today? That just doesn't really happen. It is a big deal. But, but if the sex is reckless then invariably the female protagonist ends up pregnant or has a pregnancy scare or like in forever the planning has been meticulous or maybe they're even already married Mm. when they have sex but of course that leads to pregnancy too yeah so that's another aspect of it which is that basically what you're saying is that despite uh, the fact that now it should be it is more common in, in adolescent literature to depict um adolescent protagonist having sex um actually what happens is that it is not it has not become a mainstream thing to do it has not become um something that is banalized or normalized and actually we're gonna talk about retribution there it's it's very there often is some form of retribution whether emotional parental and for you're talking about pregnancy um there is something that happens to people who have sex so i think a brilliant example of this which i've just remembered is numbers numbers sorry we're talking about rachel ward's numbers so the main plot in numbers is not actually to do with sex it is a couple of characters on the run from the police essentially they have sex the um, male partner dies And lo and behold, the female character is pregnant because sex cannot pass by unnoticed. Can we talk about another example of this, which happens in Noughts and Crosses by Mallory Blackman? Of course. Where the two characters um, who are very deeply in love have sex and the father dies, well, the the boy dies and the girl gets pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What happens in Twilight? They have sex even within the sacred bonds of marriage and she almost dies and gets pregnant (laughs) although twilight's attitude towards sex i think is far more interesting because the first three books are all about the sexual tension and build up to when they finally have sex the absence of sex is the sex in Mm. those books which again reveals something incredibly interesting and powerful i think about being a teenager yes well, yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's the main distinction, perhaps, between Forever and the type of books that we get now. I, th- I feel like teenage, modern ch- 
contemporary teenage literature has no problem with eroticism and in fact very often I mean it happens to me very often that I read a teenage book and I think this is porn (laughs) this is I mean a book um, and we're probably going to talk about deviant types of sex and sexual practices in adolescent literature later but in books such as a book such as Forbidden by Tabitha Suzuma in which which depicts an, an, an incestuous relationship between brother and sister where the brother is punished and dies. Ah. <laughs> so in a book like for, uh, like Forbidden by Tabitha Suzuma, this type of, of reading, of, 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 um, of readerly experiences, is really one of eroticism and pornography, um, in the sense that the reader is supposed to be much more than titillated. The reader is actually, um, you know, put in the situation of a of an of a voyeur. Perhaps that's what that's one of the main differences between the nineteen seventies treatment of sex and now. There isn't as much problem with um, eroticism, but there is still a huge problem with sex. And I think Twilight epitomizes that. Yeah. It is basically the erotics of abstinence. Yeah. And all the literature today there's still a huge didactic element when it comes to sex there's still very clear lines this is what you do this is what you don't do Mm -hmm. the characters don't escape punishment as we have said Um, there's always some kind of emotional fallout if the character has sex with someone unsuitable or that they aren't in a long-term relationship with Mm -hmm. and also perhaps another connecting factor of the majority of literature dealing with sex these days which the reason behind I think is more complicated than we can discuss on this show but is the fact that most of these portrayals of sex are female Mm. experiences of sex not male there's the notable exception to that which is Melvin Burgess is doing it but that was precisely so notorious because of the fact that no other book before had presented sex from the perspective of a teenage boy and even as explicit and graphic and pornographic as you've said as that book is it's incredibly didactic and the reader does not finish the book without being completely clear that this is not the way that you treat girls can I suggest something about this? Um, obviously, we know that, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, uh, a very, very, very large amount of um, teenage readers are girls. And we also know that, unfortunately, uh, there is a sort of um, alternative uh, for learning about sex when you're a teenager, and that, that's magazines, that pornograph- pornographic films, and, um, you know, perhaps now, I don't know, you porn, I don't, I don't know what, <laughs> what teenagers do these days. <laughs> she said at 23. <laughs> but I, I was, I, I wonder if um, it is not, in a sense, the good girl's option to read uh, teenage novels about sex, uh, whereas you know less less readerly boys in, in particular and, and other people would look for sources about sex in 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 other types of media. Yeah. There, there is something very specific about the the novel that allows you to enjoy vicariously this sort of eroticism without being put in the situation of watching a porn film or reading a lads mag or you know all these very very frowned upon positions when you're an intellectual young girl well that's exactly what i mean by the reasons being manifold and complicated it could be something as simple as follow the money far more teenage girls read fiction Mm -hmm. than teenage boys far more um female writers choose to discuss the subject than male writers could be a simple matter of supply male writers just don't discuss these things but they do i mean melvin Melvin for example does um i'm sure we can think of um of many other examples uh but maybe they do it in a 
feminize or at least in a way that caters to the needs of these of this overwhelmingly female audience that is very possible when you think of writers that uh, deal with it in a very problematic way such as for example Robert Cormier um, with books like um, Fade. Fade by Robert Cormier presents all forms of deviant sex, um, incest, rape, prostitution, in an incredibly harsh and provocative way, and in a way that, that truly questions uh, the intrusion of sex in the lives of teenagers. But this is not the kind of erotic sex that, um, that other books, such as uh, Twilight, such as Numbers, such as um, Notes and Crosses by Mallory Blackman, uh, will present. No, not at all. And but and maybe, as you say, this, that book's meant to fulfil a different function. Yes, absolutely. In that the others provide more solace and emotional understanding for a female reader than yeah. Robert Cormier's books do. Another interesting point about doing it: I remember reading it when I was a teenager very vividly, and a lot of my female friends did. Most of my female friends just didn't get it. They hated it because it was from such a male perspective, which is so alien to all the other mm. accounts of sex that they were used to and had read I think it p- completely polarised our friendship group the boys loved it I found it interesting most of the girls hated it yeah I mean obviously contrary to other themes that we might have been discussing such as death um, sex is a gendered motive yeah um, unfortunately or fortunately according to where you place yourself um ideologically but it is it is a very gendered concept and the narrative perspective there is going to be an excessively important one uh, an important one and i would even say one that is very subject subjected to um, potential manipulation. I think that's where perhaps we can talk about um, highly commercial forms of uh, teenage literature that might be using sex and representation of of sexuality um, as ways of perhaps forcing, tucking girls in particular into particular roles, sexual roles and gender roles, um, that the strong emotionality of the act um, allows for and that, you know, facilitates. Well, sex always functions as a massive plot device in all these things. It's never something that happens, which I think is very striking in Gossip Girl because the series has been described as the teenage sex in the city. And although there is sex, it's huge, it's littered with consequences and always for the girl so the t- the books the series of books is actually really good by the way it would strongly recommend that you read them very different to the tv series the first team does not endorse this position <laughs> <laughs> without having read them i have to say they're really good the first book the character blair spends the whole book gearing up to finally have sex with her boyfriend she's been with him for two years she really loves him she's just she just needs to like get over that final hurdle and have sex with him she's just really nervous she doesn't know if she's ready unbeknownst to her her boyfriend has already had sex with Serena the year before (gasps) so although it seems like you know Nate and Serena have had sex actually that one act the emotional fallout from that is huge because it impacts on Nate and Blair's relationship in the future it impacts on Serena's relationship with Blair that no sex is Inconsequential. Inconsequential. It, there's always a lot of fallout. So Even- there's a concept here that you that that is hinting at is virginity. I think that's quite an important one. I mean, there's a whole book that has been published, a collection of sort of short stories called Losing It, um, written by many different children's authors. Um, I think um, Melvin Burgess and Anne Fine and Jacqueline Wilson have 
um, short, a short story in there about lots of different <laughs> ways of losing your virginity. I think that says a lot about the fascination that perhaps also adults have With regarding adolescent virginity and the loss of it and the keeping of it. Actually, that is true. Can you think of any books where the characters have sex and it, the plot doesn't revolve around one of them being a virgin? Because actually, <laughs> um, I can't. Ad- adult novels. <laughs> adult novels. I mean, if yeah. for teenagers. I mean, maybe it's the mark of a teenage novel that is the first time that was sex. Yeah. I don't know. But I think it's quite interesting, this cult of virginity. Because what... Here again, let's think of it in terms of ideology and we all know that literary criticism loves ideology, but um, virginity Virginity is the last remaining um, innocence that that children and teenagers have, and of course there is this thing in children's literature criticism that adults want to are desperate to preserve children in the state of innocence, while at the same time feeling the, the, the impulse to educate them and to and to make them grow up. So there's this sort of intrinsic tension of, between, I want you to stay a child and I want you to learn to be an adult. And this is expressed in the very, very high tension that there is surrounding virginity because the symbolic power of this act is that this de- this non-sexual being that the child is is suddenly turning into a sexual being that's that that means that um he or she has passed it to the last hurdle and is now entering a realm of adult experience or proto-adult experience and i think virginity is this unbelievably strong symbolic um obstacle there well we can see that very clearly in twilight can't yes. we yes making Bella into a vampire and her virginity are so strongly tied together that it seemed as if one was a metaphor for the other until the last book. This concept of Bella being desperate to be turned into a vampire and thus turn her back on her nature, her humanity, and also her childhood, because this would mark her passage into Mm -hmm. adulthood, seems to be intrinsically connected with sex. In Twilight, the connection between virginity, loss of innocence, loss of childhood, and turning into a vampire, they are all bundled in together Mm. because when she becomes a vampire, she will no longer be able to see her dad or her mum or any of her human friends. She has left them behind to join this higher state of being. And she's got a baby, obviously. Obviously, but that happens after she's she's married, crucially. She does marry him first. There's one book related to pregnancy uh, which unusually features a male character. Can you tell us a bit more about Mallory Blackman's Boys Don't Cry? Oh, I love that book, Claire. Mallory Blackman's Boys Don't Cry is brilliant. It's one of, There's so many novels about teenage pregnancy and teenage parenthood, and obviously they are all about girls. So it's really refreshing to read one about what it's like for the male. The premise is that the male protagonist doesn't... He doesn't even know that his ex-girlfriend has had a baby. And one day, he's just playing PlayStation in his house. He's um, all set to go to university. He just needs to get his grades. And his ex-girlfriend turns up at his doorstep with a baby, tells him that he's the father, that she, um, you know, she's having loads of trouble. She just needs to go and get the kids some nappies or something and needs him to have her... have the baby girl for half an hour and she'll be back and she never comes back so he is left literally holding the baby and having to look after it it's a really good book of how an immature 17 18 year old boy has to 
grow up immediately when confronted with such a the huge... The consequences of Yeah. <laughs> but um, again, the whole book is... The sex doesn't really feature. The whole book is about the consequences of that one act. And it's made really clear that that's actually the only time that he's had sex. And oh. He's not normally like that. But it just happened at a party. It's funny how scared adults are of adolescent sexuality. Mm. And it's funny how quickly you get into that standpoint as well. Because... I mean, I'm 23. I think I have very clear memories of my teenage years and that I wouldn't have condemned myself then. But it's true that now when I look at a 17-year-old and think this person is having sex, it truly... Um, it, I mean, in, it, at some level, it does perturb me. And I think, how quickly do you get into that state of not necessarily condemning, but feeling very uncomfortable with adolescent sexuality, which is the most natural and the most widely shared and the most um, common form of emotional awakening. It, it's one of the most important parts of yeah. adolescence for most people. So obviously, I mean, the, the question is not why is it in adolescent literature? It should be. It, it has to be there because it is the elephant in the room when it's not there. So maybe the question is why is the portrayal of sex in adult literature always focused on the loss of virginity? Mm generally a female perspective and always so didactic it is as you say scared of teenage sexuality mm. rather than embracing it and explore it you know the rush of hormones then I don't know if you remember Clem but you know I thought I was in love with a different boy every week <laughs> it's very strange the way that adult writers for teenagers don't really seem willing to explore that side of it yeah I think we're being perhaps a little bit unfair there because we're looking at the big, big, big books that bother us about it. That but, is true. Um, you know, they're, 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 we're not at all denying, I think, that there might be some um, hidden gems that do um, take a much more mature, almost, approach yeah. to <laughs> That we aren't aware of or perhaps have forgotten about yeah. in our so outrage about these other books. So please write in to tell us <laughs> if you have written such a book. Um, but it, it is an important question to consider, obviously, because what we find, and we've been saying this for 11 episodes, what we find in, t in children and teenage literature um, are the fears and the anxieties and the beliefs and the values of the adults. And so every motif um, such as sex can be analysed to show what it reflects of the adult society in which they're born. And this is what adults wish teenagers would behave like. This is or this is what adults say are the consequences if you don't behave according to moral norms mm. or whatever the society has decided because we can't deny that it's quite a conservative attitude towards sex mm. that is generally yes. promoted we've moved in the most popular books so. in the most popular books mm -hmm. we've moved past the no sex before marriage thing on the whole with mm -hmm. the notable exception of twilight but sex is still very much presented as something that you only do in a loving secure mm -hmm. relationship with someone whom you love and you think deeply and carefully about birth control yeah, um, we, we don't really have the time, I think, here to get into more detail about um, homosexual, bisexual and heterosexual sex um, in, in teenage literature. Maybe maybe we should do even a whole separate episode on it. But I think that's also something to remember is that, you know, sex in, in, in teenage literature is very often very heteronormative. And, you know, it, it's only recently that it started branching out into um, gay and lesbian sex. I think there's one other aspect that we have to think about is the, the prominence in children's and teenage literature 
um, recently, perhaps I'm biased here because I'm thinking of French books mainly, but about um, actually adult teenage, um, adult and teenager sex, either in the form of rape or consented sex, but which is highly problematic because because it is a relationship between an adult and a teenager. The only books I can think of here, unfortunately, are in French, um, but I'm sure that there are in English about um, paedophilia or, or at least, you know, child abuse. And I would say these books have the, the power to put on the table these very highly uh, traumatic subjects and, you know, provide a platform for exploring them and for, um, for talking about them. But they might also be the symptom of a society that is completely, almost perversely obsessed with the dangers that children and adults run, uh, the risks that they run when they're together and this sort of protection of the child, childhood innocence that, you know, these past few years with all the cases of pedophilia and kidnapping and which have been blown up completely by the media, have, there, there is this latent anxiety so I think that's about all we've got time for today although there's a lot more we could say (laughs) maybe we'll have another episode of sex number two (laughs) return of the risque subject Um, yeah well if you've enjoyed it please let us know if you can think of any other uh, themes that you'd like us to discuss please let us know yeah, and read Gossip Girl. Clem says she doesn't like it. She's never read it. It's That's a really true. good example of commercial prejudice. fiction. It's a really good example of um, snobby prejudice. <laughs> it is, isn't it, Clem? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, go to our website, kidyounotpodcast.com. Email us at kidyounotpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at kidyounotpod or subscribe to us on iTunes. Yes, please do. And see you next time for a very special surprise episode for we will kid you not we'll be one year old one year old baby yeah thank you all for listening to us and putting up with us for a year (laughs) nearly bye bye